Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. I'm a feminist, but if I send a leaning in type email to a woman in a position to help me and she ignores me, I hate her. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but when I put our Edinburgh image for the Guilty Feminist on Facebook and said, hey, what do you guys think? Not really meaning, hey, what do you guys think? But more, hey, can you say it's great? One of our listeners, who I'm sure is completely lovely. Oh, dear. Amongst many listeners who said they loved the image, one of our listeners said, absolutely love it. It's a picture of me. It's a picture of me. You need to know that. She said, absolutely love it. I do wish you were prouder of your deep wisdom, understanding, and knowledge acquired over years of learning. Your wrinkles are proof of a life lived well. You've not airbrushed them out of your hands anyway. You could permit more to remain on your face in the photo. I replied, "Uh, thanks, but it hasn't really been photoshopped that much. It's just good lighting and makeup. And I'm really not very wrinkly anyway. (laughs) And then, ten minutes later, I added, this is me in my house right now. This is a no makeup, no Photoshop selfie. As you can see, I don't look much different. Do I have a reputation for looking older than I am? I mean, she's touched a nerve, hasn't she? (laughs) And I haven't really stopped thinking about it or showing people the screenshot of what was said. Like, when you have a photo that's got to be put up on... If you didn't Photoshop it at all, when you're the size of a fucking building, it would be distracting if your pores were not... It wasn't, you know, just... You make the image look a bit smooth. Otherwise, like, my paw on the side... If it's blown up to be the size of that... I thought you meant, like, a bear's paw. (laughs) (laughs) That would... If you got a a couple of bear's paws, help you cover up the wrinkles on your hands. (laughs) You haven't got wrinkly hands. You've got fit young hands. Sexy, lovely, fit young hands. Is it my one again? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a feminist, but if I send a leaning in type email to a woman in a position to help me and she replies saying, let's meet up, but then goes dark and ignores me, I hate her even more than the last woman. I'm a feminist, but now I'm incredibly paranoid about my hands. Wow. I'm a feminist, but if I send a leaning in type email to a woman in a position to help me and she replies saying, let's meet up, and we do meet up, and it goes brilliantly, and she gives me a complicated but challenging thing to do and a very short deadline for it to get the work that she can offer me, which would greatly help me to be doing, and I go away and miss lots of fun with my loved ones and relaxation over Christmas, spend the whole time working to learn loads of new things and write and create this thing which she's asked for, which I make sure is really good and I'm really proud of it and the few confidants and my agent that I show it to say yeah this is amazing and then I send that to her and then she goes dark and ignores me well 
Well, then I would go so far as to say that I hope for real equality for all women except that woman. <laughs> Live from Cambridge Junction, the spot which presents the guilty feminist, Jennifer Francis White, and guest co-host, Elizabeth Costitude. Very special guest, Cindy B, talking about weakness and strength. Guilty Feminists, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Okay, so my challenge for strength and weakness was, I don't know if you guys know anything about automatic writing, where you write for a minute without taking your pen off the paper or your fingers off the keys. You just have to write faster than you can think to see what really comes out. A bit like um, morning pages. A little bit like that, yes. But it's really fast. You don't have to read over it. But often genuine truths seep out. So I thought, I think I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. But I'll be interested to know if my brain thinks the same thing. So I have written this really fast. I went into the alternative dressing room when everyone was talking and just sort of took myself off and did it. And I haven't read it back. So I'm now going to read out to you. My, I am weak and then I am strong. I am weak. I am weak because I'm soft in the middle and nobody knows. I look sturdy and upright and full of life, but sometimes I am an incapable lump of marshmallow. And all that marshmallow is fabricated of is can't. Can't move, can't do it, can't be good enough, can't make it work. I am weaker than I look and can't open bottles. Slighter hands than mine have to work open the resistance and let the fizz out into the daylight. It feels like an unfeminist act to ask a man to open a bottle of water. But recently I almost cried. I felt so tired and thirsty and sick, so I had to ask the cab driver to pull over onto the side of the road so he could open it for me. (laughs) I felt weak and embarrassed and grateful for his help. Sometimes the bottle top of life resists my most determined grip. I muster my strength, but nothing gives but me. This is I am strong. I am strong. I am strong because I find some things easier than other people. Things that make men, soldiers, king, weak at the knees, like standing on a stage and addressing an audience without much of a plan. The moment doesn't scare me. This moment now is my gift, and this next one too. What I know that most people don't is that one day I will die. This came at me sharply when I left a doomsday cult that had promised me eternal life on earth. On the way out the door, I looked my mortality in the eye and said, death is coming for me, but not yet. Of all the people who have ever lived and all the people who are going to live, it's my turn now. That's my strength. I'm acutely aware that it's my turn and my power is in the awareness of my breath, my beating heart, my speed of thought and my understanding that there's nothing like being muzzled by men to make you appreciate the bellow of your voice when you're off the leash. My strength is one taught to me by Maya Angelou on YouTube. She told me long after she had died, when you go into a room, a meeting, an interview, take everyone who loves you with you. Family, friends, they're all around. See them there. Feel them there and they'll give you strength. That's the strength of feminism. The unseen army with sword half-drawn that emboldens me to ask for more and take my place. Maya Angelou and all her wisdom 
comes with me into the rawest rooms and roars, sometimes using my lungs. I can pull the sisterhood over my head to protect me from the rain. I feel like blubbing. Aww. We're just going to have a little moment now. <laughs> that's just incredible. If that's your unconscious... Well, your unconscious knows better than you. Your unconscious is way yeah. better at writing a poetry as well. That's what you have to understand. Really? Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. Cool. Because it just it sort of free associates. And to be fair, I've trained my unconscious by doing a lot of improvisation I've and stuff. i feeling mine would just do something like just play the recorder. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's my real truth. And I would have thought if I was going to write about strength... My Mine would just sound like farts. <laughs> it wouldn't. Mate. If my conscious mind wrote about strength, it would write about, I feel very strong that I was able to go back and sort of face off this cult and find mm. my birth family and, you know, the big things in my yeah, life that yeah. I've done. But I actually surprised myself with some of the ways in which I felt... I'm surprised that my unconscious thought so much of my strength comes from feminism. Mm. And I think that's possibly or from others and from yeah yeah which is, the same uh, which is the same thing I think honestly probably I've only been doing this podcast for a year and about maybe a year and a half and in that time I think I felt the growing of a guilty feminist army and a tribe around me which really emboldens me and one thing that really emboldens me is when people write in and say mm. I stepped forward and I did this because yeah. I've been listening to the podcast and I think one of the things that embolden people about the podcast is actually the audience. Because if you and I were just sitting here going, yeah, yeah, but when every time they hear the audience laugh or applaud or ask a question or mm. any of those things, they feel like they have tribe. Mm. They feel the weight of the army. So that means when they go into the meeting and they think, yeah, I am going to speak up, they feel the tribe of guilty feminists around them. So I think a lot of the success of the podcast is the audience. It's like you guys tonight. They hear you and they feel you. They feel where you applaud, where you listen quietly, where you laugh. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it is. I think it's a place to find tribe. And I think it's really emboldened me and made me a fuller, rounder, definitely a braver feminist. So thank you. Thank you. It's Deborah Francis White. Uh, all right, so I used to do a show, an improvised show called Dream Date, and it was an improvised romantic comedy based on the lives of two people in the audience, two people who were single who had not met each other. So, for example, anyone here single? Oh, yes. What's your name? Holly. Holly. And uh, Holly, what is your occupation? Teacher. You're a teacher. What do you teach? English. English. Lovely. In Cambridge? Yeah. Lovely. Okay, and is it okay if I ask if you are straight or gay? Yes, straight. straight. Do I have a straight man? Uh, you, sir, are you single? Can, I, was, I was looking at him, actually. Are you single? Can I pretend you are? Are there any single men in? You can pretend... Yeah, you're his wife. That was really fast. Was that? Pretend you're single. It's fine. It's more than fine. What's your name? Chris. Chris, okay. What do you do? 
Software development, okay. So now what we do is we take Chris and Holly out onto the stage and they would pick improvisers, comedians to play them and then we'd act out a rom-com like a When Harry Met Sally of When Holly Met Chris, okay. And this is how we'd open the show. Holly, what is your best quality? And they, now Holly's looked at her friends and they've said nothing. <laughs> Holly, what's a good quality of Holly's? Kind, kindest person ever. What's her worst quality? What's your worst quality, honey? Um, disorganization. Disorganization. Chris, what's your best quality? You can ask your wife. <laughs> what's his best quality? In this scenario, he doesn't have a wife, but let's say you're the best friend. <laughs> Funny and kind. Oh, they've already got something in common. Uh, worst quality? Self doubt. Self doubt. Oh. He's, he's made a face like he's, if he hadn't been doubting himself, he is now. <laughs> now, yeah. this is how we played this game. That's great. We should bring it back. We should bring back the Guilty Feminist version of Dream Date. What I discovered, that for probably 19 out of 20 people, their best quality and their worst quality is the same. They'd say, uh, what's your best quality? I'm a perfectionist. Worst quality, anal. <laughs> what's your best quality? Easy going. Worst quality. You never know if I'm going to show up. What's your best quality? I like to party. What's your worst quality? I like to party. <laughs> like literally nearly every single time. Your best quality is your worst quality. And I realized that this was kind of true. Your strength and your weakness is the same thing. It just depends on the quantity and the direction of your energy. And so I started to think about what the best and worst qualities of feminism today was. What are the strengths and weaknesses? And I thought, um, passionate. Feminism is passionate now. Worst quality... About, uh, passionate, passionate, very unfocused in its anger at times, isn't it? Sort of a bit scattergun. Sometimes you get taken down by friendly fire. Has that happened to anyone? No? Okay. <laughs> People too scared to say. Uh, conviction. Best quality of feminism, conviction. Worst quality, some branches of feminism, sure they have the right answers to everything. Too much conviction. Best quality, active. It's got its marching boots on, feminism. Worst quality, doesn't quite know what it's marching to all of the time. Um, and then I thought about the patriarchy. What are the best and worst qualities of the patriarchy? Patriarchy, best quality, powerful. Powerful. Uh, worst quality, so powerful it crushes everything in its path. <laughs> best quality, sizable. People say size doesn't matter. That's not always true in the patriarchy's case. It's working for it. Worst quality, it's every fucking where. It's every fucking where. It's too big. It's too big. Chris, it's too big, it's too sizable. Have you come across the patriarchy this week? Well, then you are the patriarchy, Chris. If you haven't run into the patriarchy, you are the patriarchy. You must remember that, Chris. I don't want to add to your self-doubt, but... Best quality of the patriarchy, it knows its own mind. Worst quality, doesn't know anything else. Best quality for the patriarchy, best quality is poster boy as Donald Trump. It knows its brand. It's got one clear feminism all over the shop. You don't know what it is. It's here, it's there. It's lots of different faces. But poster boy is Donald Trump. Best quality. Worst quality. His face might be the last thing we see before we die. <laughs> Thank you very much. What was your challenge? Well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Was it weightlifting? No, it's... Pretty much, yeah. I it's, now it's going to seem even more infantile. No, no, no. I no, have taken the strength and weakness thing pretty literally. 
I waited at the bottom of the stairs by St Pancras where there isn't a lift at King's Cross and I hung around. Offering to carry people yeah. up? Yeah. No, not whole humans, they're bags. Oh. No, I don't think anyone would say yes, unless they potentially they were a child, no, and then I was... I'd look like I was trying to steal them. No, I was joking. Um, no, I, I didn't really help. think you were firemen lifting people upstairs. Yeah. Well, I, I wanted to help people with bags. I think since having my kid, I have accepted a lot more help. And there have been other times where I've lugged... He's Also, I mean, he's a fucking unit. And I've lugged him up on my own up steps and thought, yeah, fine, I can. And I've not been annoyed that no one's offered help. I don't know. I, for me, I just think it's very... I mean, it's fascinating. I think, actually, I am a strong woman uh, physically. And I'm a gentleman. So I want to help people. And I do a lot. I help people on and off things a lot. But so what I made the point of this to make it a challenge and make it different is I actively offered help to pretty much anyone who had a bag, whether they looked mm. strong or How long tinier than me. 25 minutes. Wow. You were there like a sort of unpaid... <laughs> well, wait. Because it's amazing. That's amazing. Well... That's much better than mine. I wrote that you in a say dressing that. room inside four minutes. Yeah. I Look, feel you that's say that. I, much what, I did what I did is try. I was there for 25 minutes. Guess how many people actually accepted my help with their bag? Three or four? One. Wow. But wait, it gets yeah. worse. <laughs> I realised after 25 minutes, I was like, actually thinking about it, like not that many people have had really big bags. And then I realised actually there, there was a lift. Ah. <laughs> so the only people that were carrying bags up there were either fucking morons or sadists like me. Ah. So... I kind of nullified my own challenge by, and then I'd run out of time, I'm afraid. I still think it was a noble, noble challenge. A um, noble failure. A noble, a noble on, failure, as they say, at the Alternative yeah. Comedy Memorial Society. It's a great. Yay! Did someone just say yay? A noble it's failure. A great show. Uh, Hello. Um, so, um, so strength and weakness. So I've always been quite big and strong. <laughs> I really like it now. I'm really enjoying my physical strength now. I feel, if anything, fucking grateful for it. But as a teenager, I hated it. I would have loved to have been a tiny wraith. And I remember a, a PE lesson where I walked out into the field. We were doing, um, oh God, what's it called? Athletics. <laughs> no. That's it. And um, and we were doing all the different throwings, and uh, and the teacher was very lovely. And um, I was sort of I had to go at the javelins and all the discus, and I had to go at all the things. Really enjoying myself. It wasn't the object going very far ever, and he very much meant well. But this teacher in front of the whole class, I think it was about thirteen, went, "Well, the thing is about jazz." from the West Country is a thing is about you you just got to learn some actual skills because the problem is once you train you're going to be amazing the problem the problem is a lack of training because let me tell you let me tell all of you she is an absolute powerhouse <laughs> and um, I was mortified but now I'd love that as a review can you imagine that on your poster for your tour absolute powerhouse Mr. Jones. <laughs> that 
would be nice. <laughs> so I've got an 18 months old and he's just started talking. I mean, that's a loose term. <laughs> this morning he counted for the first time, but it, I wasn't going to tell you this, but it honestly went one, two, four, shit, <laughs> eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to start being a bit more careful what I say. Um, I mean, I'm not. I think there's nothing funnier than a baby swearing. I'm going to keep up the swearing. I think that's a strength. That's a strength. But I am going to look at, like, the motivations behind some of the things that I say in front of him. Because every now and again, often, my partner's very good at checking my language for how sort of mindful it is and I recently had to stop saying something I very casually for a couple of years I've been left right and center saying grow a pair really loosely been using it do you know have you heard the term about grow a pair did you know that it's about balls (laughs) it's not about nipples I mean, in a way, of course it is. We're always saying that, right? We're always saying, like, oh, isn't that emotionally and physical challenging thing that they did? That took balls. They mean, they actually mean a man's testicles. Like eyeballs in thin, thin skin. I'm not going to muck about. I'll be honest. I'd say that probably an actual man's nutsack is potentially the least brave object <laughs> I've ever met. They shy away at a chilly breeze. How can something be held up as a symbol of strength when it has the potential to be licked too hard? <laughs> If anything, they should be held up as a universally accepted, axiomatically acknowledged symbol of vulnerability, fragility and sensitivity, shouldn't they? And equally, all of our language that we use for weakness is just as fucked. If someone does something cowardly, we say, ah, pussy. (laughs) Excuse me? I don't know if they're talking about a tuppence or if they're talking about a tuppence. I don't know if you've ever heard of childbirth or even just other things. That is not that is not a cowardly part of the anatomy. Even if you've never had any inkling of, or any interest in never knowing anything about childbirth, I want you to know that at the end of it, the tuppence has been through more than the character Carrie in the film Carrie. <laughs> it is a brave part of the anatomy. And you think, oh, maybe when you say, oh, you pussy, maybe they're talking about a cat. Maybe they're saying cats are cowardly. Well, actually, cats can jump from 32 floors up and while they're falling, reach speeds of 60 miles an hour and still land fine. Other words we use when someone's been a coward, you say, oh, chicken. You can cut a chicken's head off and it can still walk. <laughs> and this is the one that gets me the worst. This is the one that gets me the worst. As a word that we use for weakness or cowardice, because actually, have you ever met anything stronger, more resistant or more resilient than a weed? <laughs> hey, think about it. They are amazing. 
don't know if you've ever heard of Japanese knotweed. I'm not exaggerating. You can cut it into a hundred bits, put it inside two plastic bags. They refine each other and rebond and work their way out of the bags, down into the ground, underneath the foundations of buildings, whole houses, and they break. It's made of plant, and it breaks up the foundations of buildings and destroys the value of those properties, even in the London bubble. Please can bring down capitalism. I'd like to see a pair of gonads do that. <laughs> and that's why I've stopped saying grow a pair. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah Francis White, briefly interrupting your podcast listening to let you know that there are some shows coming up that you might want to come and see. On Saturday, the 3rd of February, we have just put on in London a matinee at the Soho Theatre, and our guest is Jen Kirkman. And we're heading back to Australia. On Saturday, the 24th of February, we will be at the Royal Theatre Adelaide as part of the Adelaide Fringe Festival. So come and check us out in Adelaide. On the 1st and 2nd of March, we will be at the Cooper's Malt House, Melbourne. Hello, Melbourne. And we will be at the Sydney Opera House for two shows on the same day, two shows on Sunday, 4th of March at the Sydney Opera House. Come and see us there. And we will be at the London Palladium for our 100th ever show in the West End on Thursday, the 24th of May. Some people were disappointed they missed out on the February Suffragette show. So there's another show at the London Palladium with Guardian Live. Get tickets now for the 24th of May. There are other shows coming up in the UK and elsewhere. So watch out for those. And you can get details of any of these shows at guiltyfeminist.com. our guest. Um, She is a wonderful comedian, a genuine delight, and is increasingly becoming very big news. Put your hands together and make excited noises of feminist delight for Sindhu V. Sindhu, what would you say is your strength and what is your weakness? Weakness is just catastrophic levels of anxiety. I mean, catastrophic. Like, something will happen, it'll make me anxious, and then the next thought is catastrophe, for sure. And this is a real weakness because it's hard to function. When I was in Edinburgh last year, I had a missed call from my son. He's a teenager. And I was running from one gig to the other, and it was a missed call. And when your teenager actually phones you... It's always like there's something happened. So I called and he didn't pick up his phone. So immediately I just, my heart started pounding. It's the middle of the day. Mm. And I mean, he's not like roaming feral in London, like everyone else is home. And, and then I started walking really slowly because I thought, what's happened, what's happened, what's happened? This is all like 15 seconds. And then I get a call on my phone from a number I don't recognize. Mm. And I pick up and it's my son. And he says, mommy. And I think he's been kidnapped. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry for laughing. And, and I'm in this busy, busy street. You know how many people there are in yeah. Edinburgh? And I say, yes. And he says, can you hear me? And I think, oh my God, he's in someone's trunk of someone's car. And he's managed to, you know, steal their phone and he's trying to get a hold. This is literally what went through my head. And so I said, whose phone is this? And he said, Max's. 
And I'm like, fuck, they've taken Max as well. That's his friend. I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, I've always told him not to hang out with Max. Max is a bad kid. And they obviously went to Camden and have got kidnapped when he's in the back of someone's car with Max. God damn it. And I'm literally at this point, I have like armpit monsoon. I'm like sweating. I am freaking out. I think I've lost my child. I start panicking to the point where I, I, I have water coming out of everywhere. My eyes, I'm dribbling. It was just ludicrous, you know? And then I said to him, where are you? And he said, the cinema. <laughs> and I said, why are you phoning me from the cinema? Why am I still whispering, first of all? And he said, because I'm going to be home late. Can you call home and tell them I'll be late because my phone is out of battery? And of course, the next thing I said is, why the fuck are you not phoning home? And he said, mom, language. I'm like, and he said, I don't want to use up Sam's battery. And he hung up. Aww. I'm like, what a moron this child is. Why doesn't someone take him? I mean, God damn it. It's a moron. I mean, but that kind of anxiety, I mean, it's funny now, but it's debilitating. First time I went to L.A. as an adult, and I took my two kids, and I came back, and I started feeling unwell. And within three hours of feeling unwell, I'm like, I have a brain tumor. And I know that some people are like that, and it's funny, but I literally mm. was like, that's it, I have a brain tumor. I started thinking what would happen to my kids, and like thinking of people I would call. I couldn't get in the car to drive to the doctor, because yeah. I was like, I might die in the car, I may as well die next to the kids, you know? Uh, it was just insane. I finally went to the doctor, and he's our GP, he knows me quite well. Um, <laughs> And I explained to him, and I was crying, and you know, I had, oh, and he said to me, uh, you have jet lag. <laughs> it's, he said it's jet, jet lag from the West Coast is very bad. <laughs> and I was like, no, you don't understand. I, I can't see, I can't think. He's like, it's uh, jet lag, it's fine. <laughs> and so I said, fine. The thing I'm trying to explain is that it's debilitating because I literally become this reduced version, like a lunatic. Yeah. Like I can't do anything and all these horrible thoughts. Okay, that, yeah, okay. And then also my body changes, my cortisol's all over mm -hmm. the place. So then after I have these episodes, I need to just lay down. And then when I'm calm, I need to lay down and think about what an idiot <laughs> I was at the doctor or whatever, whatever. I feel like anxiety has become a plague and it seems to correlate with the information age. I saw something recently and it sort of explained why. We have anxiety as a reaction as humans from back when mm -hmm. occasionally, every now and again, there'd be the threat of a predator, like a bear or whatever. When something like that approached us as cave people, we would have this mass of adrenaline yeah, that then became whatever. Yeah. And now we live in a world that we've transformed obviously so much that all the time we're surrounded by the equivalent of a huge predator coming. So our bodies are dealing with what it should be dealing with very occasionally, all the time. What is the bear? Is it now like Donald Trump and the threat of impending Load of wars? phone calls on the bounce, yeah. a bit of road rage. Uh, it's stress. Do you think that affects women more than men? Or do you think that women are better at talking about it? Because there's a lot of mental health stuff about that men don't talk about stuff and they don't process their anxiety. Like, at least we can have these conversations. Yeah. And I'm talking as a trend. Obviously, there are men who talk about it and the women who don't. But in terms of feminism and anxiety, it's clearly a weakness 
when we allow anxiety to take us over. And I feel I have, I have occasional panic attacks now, which I didn't used to have. Do you have any anxiety, Jess? Massive, yeah. I feel mad. When you said I feel mad, I think, yeah, I feel mad. And I know I'm doing it. It's almost like, I mean, this is probably the wrong crowd, but I don't know if you've ever taken ketamine. (laughs) Um, Basically, you know... You know you're back. You're in a university town. I think you're fine. It's like that bit um, from that Hunter S. Thompson where it says, I know I'm walking like this, but I can't help it. And I feel like that when I get very, very deep into a... I call it stress still, but when I get very, very anxious, overwhelmed by an enormous amount of things to do, I know I feel mad, but I've got no way of coping with it. And unfortunately, I know that apparently something that's supposed to be amazing for it is mindfulness. And there's loads and loads of science and medicine behind mindfulness now. When you've got an 18-month-old, we're supposed to fucking do it. Yeah, yeah, no, and it just feels like you're telling me another thing to fucking put on the to-do list. Yeah, and now I've got to do mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. And then the apps, I found the app didn't work for me, and that was oh, very sort of poking God. away at it. Another bear. It was the mindfulness app is a bear to me. Just everyone close their eyes. Just say, hmm, if you experience more stress now than you used to. Just say, hmm, if you don't. Say, hmm, if that anxiety sometimes feels debilitating to you. Hmm, if it doesn't. Oh, wow, only three people don't have debilitating anxiety. I'm desperate to talk to them for tips. Yeah, that's really interesting. To come back to the men-women thing, I think a couple of things, because I happen to be married to someone who is extraordinarily not anxious. Mm. He's just never experienced anxiety. Uh, He's Scandinavian, isn't he? He's Scandinavian. And also just a very calm character. I think there must be things that stress him out in the same way, but he doesn't have that mechanism to go bananas. No, my not... husband also has no fight or flight. Like, in a bear situation, he would sort of philosophically go, well, look, the bear's got the best chance here. Let's not aggravate it. Let's understand that we've had a good run. And he doesn't have the same panic mechanism. I mean, there's so many things where I say to him, you know, so-and-so, one of the kids has gone on a school trip, and, of course, I've read an article, and, you know, blah, 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 and what if the kid falls off something, whatever they're doing, and do you think this, 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 and then some really bad outcome. And he'll always say, well, it's possible. <laughs> and I'm like, do you hate me? <laughs> and he's like, it's possible. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, this is how it goes. So he's like hyper-rational, and I, when I'm in these moods, I'm like irrational, you know? And so one time he said, it would be terrible if we got divorced. What one time? This is once a week conversation. No, no, it's not. So it'd be terrible if we got divorced, but it would be worse if we got terminal cancer. <laughs> he said that to you? Yeah, in a context. I don't know you that well, but I know not to say that to you. Exactly. So my instant response was, if we get divorced, I'll get terminal cancer, it'll be your fault. <laughs> like, at once. You know, this is how different we are on this. But you'd think that it would make me calmer. And in the beginning, it didn't, but now it does, because what I do is I go up to him and I say, blah, 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 crazy thought, crazy thought, ah, what do you think? And he says, mm, maybe, but I doubt it. And I think... <laughs> because he's learned to say I doubt it no. but that's how I have to do it otherwise I've, it's either I call him or I call my mom you know and if I call my mom very late then does she make it better oh yeah she always makes it better oh, she always nice. makes it better because she says I think this is 200th time you have asked me same question <laughs> <laughs> always and all children are still alive so I think it's okay <laughs> 
what would you say is your strength if anxiety is your weakness? Humor. <laughs> I mean, That's literally good. the worst things, the worst things that have happened to me. If there's anything funny, I've always found it. And I didn't realize that I was like this until I had kids and started taking the piss out of them. <laughs> and they would just be like, what? And I'd be like, isn't that really funny? And they'd be like, uh, and I'm like, no, come on, see the funny, see the funny, see the funny. <laughs> because I feel like there's so much in life you can't control. You know, and my mother's like that. She was very, very wicked when we were little. I mean, now I laugh, but she was terrible, horrible. I had a stammer up until my early 20s. And when I was little, it was really bad. And I remember my father would ask us at the dinner. This is so funny. Um, there was my sister and me, and my father would ask a question, and he would ask me, and my mother would say, oh, don't bother. No one has that much time. And we'd move on. And it was horrible because I'd be like, ak, 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 ak. and she'd be like, oh, no, no, stop, stop. Ask her, ask her, which is horrible, but it's so funny. Oh, my God. And I think, you know, I just have that capacity for something, you know, just terrible stuff. My middle child was asking me, she went through this phase, I don't know if you guys have kids who have this, she went through this phase of like, are you and dad going to split up? And I kept telling her no and don't worry about it. And I also, I think there's so much information these kids have that put ideas into their head for no reason. Yeah. And so I thought, right, okay, we'll just show her how absurd this is. And then she was sitting here and I was sitting here and she was on her phone and I was on my phone because we're a really connected family. <laughs> and so she said, so what are you going to do? I said, oh, I have to go out. And she said, with who? I said, I have a dinner date. And she said, oh, a date, with who? And I said, my ex. And she stopped and said, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, just pretending to text. And she said, your ex what? I said, what kind of ex do you think? She said, your ex-boyfriend? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh my God, does Fai's dad in Danish, does he know? I'm like, mm, yeah, I think so. And I thought, you know what? This is going to be so good. It's going to be so good. There's going to be such a great punchline at the end of this. This kid's going to laugh so much. Anyway, and so I said, yeah. And so we went on, and she's like, oh, my God, Mom, how can you do that? And, and she had, like, a complete freak out. And I just sat there, and I'm like, look, it's totally normal. He's really cool, and I just think he's wonderful. He's so handsome. And, you know, and, and all this stuff, and she was getting more and more. And then I stopped, and I said, my ex-boyfriend is the boyfriend I had before I got married. And she was like, I can't. And I said, who is the boyfriend I had before I got married? She said, fa. I'm like, exactly. It was a dinner date with my husband. You see, okay, obviously you guys don't think that's funny. But I, thought, I thought it was hilarious because she broke out and I was like, you see? And she was like, what am I supposed to see? I'm like, it's not such a big deal. She's like, what? I'm like, you know, if something was to happen, it'd be okay. It's funny. I thought it was hilarious. I'm still struggling <laughs> to make you guys see it. But I just thought it was very funny to take the wind out of that whole yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, just calm down. No matter what it is in life, if you can have a sense of humor about it, it's mm. always going to be better because nothing is perfect. Yeah. But even the imperfections, Although you can I've make them funny. I've got a story on that front. I went on BBC Breakfast as a comedian a few times. Already hilarious. They got me on on very deep stuff. They got me on to talk about onesies. Another time Christmas. And then I got a call saying, would you come in and talk about airport security, whether you think there could be more humor in airport security? And I said... Well, it doesn't sound like you should really have a comedian for that. Should you? And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, the man who wrote Fireman Sam has said something like a little bit um, off. <laughs> Probably, I think, borderline racist at an airport security thing. And we kind of, kind of say, like, should people just lighten up? And I was like, mm, I suppose. If it, and they were like, we're making it a really light piece, we promise. And I was like, fine. And I went in and the other guest on was this incredible woman who is <laughs> like head of 
all of the security across all of the airports in all of Australia. Oh, wow. Oh, God. And I just sat there in silence because it was all like, yeah, and then, yeah, and then obviously airport security needs to be very tight. Yeah, okay, yeah. And it was all going on and on and then so desperate for there to be a point to me be there. Sean Lloyd, is that her name? She said, so Jess, do you think there's room for more humour in airport security places? And I went, I think there's room for humour everywhere. I think however tense a situation, however serious a situation, there should always be room for humour there. If someone farts when they're going through airport security, if the guard doesn't go... At least, then they're dead inside, right? Which I think is totally valid. And then the amazing head of all security across all of the airports in Australia went, yeah, but there was that one time where those two Russian girls made the security guards laugh and then they took down a plane. (laughs) Actual millions of people watch that programme. That's crazy. Airport security... Our family joke is every time the kids and my husband and I go anywhere, my eldest kid won. As soon as the security comes, he looks at me and says, Mom, time for your random check. (laughs) (laughs) Always. And it's hilarious because it always happens. Does anyone have a question? Tom's got a microphone. Yes, there's someone in the front row. Hello. Hello. I'm a disabled woman. Um, I've got an invisible disability that you can't see unless I take all my clothes off. And uh, my disability is probably like, that's my physical weakness. That's what makes my life really, really difficult. But I think that turned into uh, my strength because it made me a better person. It made me really, really proud of myself. It made me a better feminist because I stopped worrying about the size of my arse and started worrying about, like, dying. Um, (laughs) Um, And I just wondered, like, when you're talking about these, like, your anxiety and that's your weakness, do you think that can be turned into a positive? Mm. I think for sure. I mean, I think for me, the anxiety thing has really led me to think about mindfulness and also to look at why I'm like that. Because on the outside, a lot of things are going very well for me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I don't want to transmit that to my kids. I think if I can avoid fucking my kids up, that's already a strength. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I carry all this anxiety around. So that's... Definitely something I think about. And also, I've got into mindfulness a lot. And I've learned to be much nicer to myself. I know it sounds so cheesy, but it's a fact. Mm. I've just Mm. learned to take it down a notch. And to be more like my husband, who once said to me famously, the first thing I think every morning when I wake up is, God, I'm great. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, that's what I've got to learn. You know what I mean? That's what I've got to learn. So I think doing all those things for yourself. And I just think it makes you a more valuable participant in general. I think you're right. I think having anxiety can make you more empathetic for others. It's not simply a weakness. It can be a strength. It can make you work on yourself because you think, I have to work on myself to get through this day. And then you can come out the other side and be stronger than you would have been if you hadn't suffered from it. Yeah, and I think also anxiety comes with ambition. And up to a certain point, anxiety is adrenaline. And you can use that for all sorts of things in terms of focus and drive and stuff. But it's that tipping point. Anyone else got a question? Um, You were talking earlier about the difference between men and women experiencing anxiety. Do you think that has anything to do with the fact that women are socialized or brought up to feel like they are expected to do more things and there is more pressure to kind of juggle everything and achieve lots of things? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No, absolutely. And I think every kind of message, no matter what media it is, it doesn't have to be social media, just print, you know, everything is... You have to be 
as good as everything else that guys have to be good in and then answer questions about why do you have kids, why do you not have kids, why are your kids a nightmare, blah, 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 the whole thing. You know, why are you at home when you know, and not working? Why are you working and not at home? Yeah. It's that whole other thing. And for sure, you know, there's a lot more. I take that as a given. Do you know what I mean? I and think, then I have friends who are not anxious. I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> I think there are many fewer conventional models for women as well like I feel like guys get to be a spectrum of whatever they are someone was telling me about the new CEO of their company they said like he dresses appallingly like he comes in in sort of you know tracksuit pants with holes in them and Mm. whatever and now he's the CEO we've got to kind of try and get him into a place where he could sort of be wheeled out to talk to people Um, but he's a mad genius so no one minds Mm. and I was like imagine a woman making CEO while wearing sweatpants. Impossible. Impossible. Because... I'm willing to give it a go. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean, though? Women... There are many fewer conventional ways that women can look before it causes comment. Everything. Everything that we're still up against, I think, is a cause of anxiety, isn't it? Even that kind of, like, you have to be so much louder to be heard but at the same time being very careful about not appearing too loud or aggressive or whatever you know like all that line you're constantly dancing there's a lot more line dancing mm. <laughs> yeah and you know there is and An one thing I want to say is that when you see guys up doing stuff CEOs and this that and the other you know and they're fine they don't have anxiety it's fine I think more women who are doing well in their field need to honestly speak about the anxiety they feel, the antidepressants they may or may not be on, so that young women can be like, that's okay, and I can do it. Do you see what I mean? So if it is part of being a woman that you have this anxiety, which I think women have to deal with a lot more, if more women said, yeah, I'm CEO, or I'm the head of this trading floor, and I have to pop an antidepressant every day, and I cry sometimes in the bathroom, but you know what, fuck it, I'm still the head of this. It'd be amazing, because you'd be like, oh, I could still do that. When you get anxious, you think, I can't be that person. If more women opened their mouths and Mm -hmm. said, I do all this and I do all this, I think it would just take the fear away from it. Do you know what I mean? And more men too. Like, I do think we are, as a trend, a bit better at talking about these things. Well, we know that's true because mental health issues for men, the patriarchies make men feel that they've always got to be strong. And the patriarchy enjoys women being vulnerable and it enjoys men being strong. And I think feminism needs to say women are allowed to be strong and men are allowed to be vulnerable. Yeah, but yeah. Thank God I got there. That felt really insightful at the end, didn't it? It felt it like was, people, yeah. people and were in like, a way, well, if anything, I was agreeing with you, but I sort of ruined the sort of potency of it by going, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug? I do, in fact. I'm taking a show up to Edinburgh called Iguana Mum. Mm. And there's a series of previews in London. The 1st of July, there's a preview at the Museum of Comedy, great venue. It's basically comedy underground in a tomb. Um, <laughs> it's genuinely it's really lovely. It yeah. is. Lovely. It is. It's uh, very nice. So, so if you can't come to Edinburgh, come to that. If you can't come to that, come to Edinburgh, but just come. And, uh, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm very excited. It's the first time I'm going to Edinburgh for the whole run, so I hope to see some of you there. And I'm uh, Sindhu V Funny, just the V, not the double E. Sindhu V Funny on Twitter, so, you know, come Twitter me. (laughs) Jessica Foster Q, anything to plug? I am on Twitter, at Jessica Foster Q. I'm on my own website, jessicafosterq.com. 
I host a show called The Comedy Club on Radio 4 Extra all the time. Listen to those, get to do fun, fun interviews. And I'm doing a brand new show called The Silence of the Nans up in Edinburgh as well. Loads of previews all over the country. Please may you come. I'm Deborah Francis-White and I'm at Deborah FW and I have a comedy panel show, Global Pillage at globalpillage.net. Which rocks. It, which rocks. Sindhu was it just rocks. on. Sindhu's just on two episodes, which we'll be hearing soon, and uh, you will enjoy them very much. If you don't listen, you won't hear Sindhu again. So, in a very real way, you will lose out. And Jess has also done one. You can look that up as well. Follow the Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page. Sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. And give it five stars. Yeah. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, I'm a feminist, but I didn't, for years I didn't, until I was in my 30s, I didn't identify as one. Did you, did you only identify as a feminist to come on this show? Yeah. yeah. You're not a feminist at all, are you? No, I... Just a gig's a gig. <laughs> if this was Deborah Francis White Misogyny Hour. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>